Part 2, Chapter 20 of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, An Underwater Tour of the World by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 20 In Latitude 47 degrees 24 minutes and Longitude 17 degrees 28 minutes. In the aftermath of this storm, we were thrown back to the east. Away went any hope of escaping to the landing places of New York or the St. Lawrence. In despair, poor Ned went into seclusion like Captain Nemo. Conseil and I no longer left each other. As I said, the Nautilus veered to the east. To be more accurate, I should have said to the northeast. Sometimes on the surface of the waves, sometimes beneath them, the ship wandered for days amid these mists so feared by navigators. These are caused chiefly by melting ice, which keeps the air extremely damp. How many ships have perished in these waterways as they tried to get directions from the hazy lights on the coast? How many casualties have been caused by these opaque mists? How many collisions have occurred with these reefs, where the breaking surf is covered by the noise of the wind? How many vessels have rammed each other, despite their running lights, despite the warnings given by their bosun's pipes and alarm bells? So the floor of this sea had the appearance of a battlefield where every ship defeated by the ocean still lay some already old and encrusted others newer and reflecting our beacon light on their ironwork and copper undersides among these vessels how many went down with all hands with their crews and hosts of immigrants at these trouble spots so prominent in the statistics cape race st paul island the strait of belle isle the st lawrence estuary and in only a few years, how many victims have been furnished to the obituary notices by the Royal Mail, Inman, and Montreal lines, by vessels named the Solway, the Isis, the Paramata, the Hungarian, the Canadian, the Anglo-Saxon, the Humboldt, and the United States, all run aground, by the Arctic and the Lyonnaise, sunk in collisions, by the president the pacific and the city of glasgow lost for reasons unknown in the midst of their gloomy rubble the nautilus navigated as if passing the dead in review by may fifteen we were off the southern tip of the grand banks of newfoundland these banks are the result of marine sedimentation an extensive accumulation of organic waste brought either from the equator by the gulf stream's current or from the north pole by the countercurrent of cold water that skirts the american coast here too erratically drifting chunks collect from the ice breakup here a huge boneyard forms from fish mollusks and zoophytes dying over it by the billions the sea is of no great depth at the Grand Banks, a few hundred fathoms at best, but to the south there is a deep, suddenly occurring depression, a 3,000-meter pit. Here the Gulf Stream widens. Its waters come to full bloom. It loses its speed and temperature, but it turns into a sea. Among the fish that the Nautilus startled on its way, I'll mention a one-meter lump fish, blackish on top with orange on the belly and rare among its brethren in that it practices monogamy a good-sized eel pout 
a type of emerald moray whose flavor is excellent wolf fish with big eyes and a head somewhat resembling a canine's viviparous blennies whose eggs hatch inside their bodies like those of snakes bloated gobio or black gudgeon measuring two decimeters grenadiers with long tails and gleaming with a silvery glow speedy fish venturing far from their high arctic seas our nets also hauled in a bold daring vigorous and muscular fish armed with prickles on its head and stings on its fins a real scorpion measuring two to three meters the ruthless enemy of cod blennies and salmon it was the bullhead of the northerly seas a fish with red fins and a brown body covered with nodules the nautilus's fishermen had some trouble getting a grip on this animal which thanks to the formation of its gill covers can protect its respiratory organs from any parching contact with the air and can live out of water for a good while and i'll mention for the record some little banded blennies that follow ships into the northernmost seas sharp-snouted carp exclusive to the north atlantic scorpion fish and lastly the gadoid family chiefly the cod species which i detected in their waters of choice over these inexhaustible grand banks because newfoundland is simply an underwater peak you could call these cod mountain fish while the nautilus was clearing a path through their tight ranks conseil couldn't refrain from making this comment mercy look at these cod he said why i thought cod were flat like dab or sole innocent boy i exclaimed cod are flat only at the grocery store where they're cut open and spread out on display but in the water they're like mullet spindle-shaped and perfectly built for speed i can easily believe master conseil replied but what crowds of them what swarms bah my friend there'd be many more without their enemies scorpion fish and human beings do you know how many eggs have been counted in a single female i'll go all out conseil replied five hundred thousand eleven million my friend eleven million I refuse to accept that until I count them myself. So count them, Conseil, but it will be less work to believe me. Besides, Frenchmen, Englishmen, Americans, Danes, and Norwegian catch these cod by the thousands. They're eaten in prodigious quantities, and without the astonishing fertility of these fish, the seas would soon be depopulated of them. Accordingly, in England and America alone, five thousand ships manned by seventy-five thousand seamen go after cod each ship brings back an average catch of forty-four hundred fish making twenty-two million off the coast of norway the total is the same fine conseil replied i'll take master's word for it i won't count them count what those eleven million eggs but i'll make one comment what's that if all their eggs hatched just four codfish could feed england america and norway as we skimmed the depths of the grand banks i could see perfectly those long fishing lines each armed with two hundred hooks that every boat dangled by the dozens the lower end of each line dragged the bottom by means of a small grappling iron and at the surface it was secured to the buoy rope of a cork float 
the nautilus had to maneuver shrewdly in the midst of this underwater spiderweb but the ship didn't stay long in these heavily traveled waterways it went up to about latitude 42 degrees this brought it abreast of st john's in newfoundland and heart's content where the atlantic cable reaches its end point instead of continuing north the nautilus took an easterly heading as if to go along this plateau on which the telegraph cable rests where multiple soundings have given the contours of the terrain with the utmost accuracy it was on may seventeen about five hundred miles from heart's content and two thousand eight hundred meters down that i spotted this cable lying on the seafloor conseil whom i hadn't alerted mistook it at first for a gigantic sea snake and was gearing up to classify it in his best manner but i enlightened the fine lad and led him down gently by giving him various details on the laying of this cable the first cable was put down during the years eighteen fifty seven through eighteen fifty eight but after transmitting about four hundred telegrams it went dead in eighteen sixty three engineers built a new cable that measured three thousand four hundred kilometers weighed four thousand five hundred metric tons and was shipped aboard the great eastern this attempt also failed now then on may twenty fifth while submerged to a depth of three thousand eight hundred thirty six meters the nautilus lay in precisely the locality where this second cable suffered the rupture that ruined the undertaking it happened six hundred and thirty eight miles from the coast of ireland at around two o'clock in the afternoon all contact with europe broke off the electricians on board decided to cut the cable before fishing it up and by eleven o'clock that evening they had retrieved the damaged part they repaired the joint and its splice then the cable was resubmerged but a few days later it snapped again and couldn't be recovered from the ocean depths these americans refused to give up the daring cyrus field who had risked his whole fortune to promote this undertaking called for a new bond issue it sold out immediately another cable was put down under better conditions its sheaves of conducting wire were insulated within a gutta percha covering which was protected by a padding of textile material enclosed in a metal sheath the great eastern put back to sea on july thirteenth eighteen sixty six the operation proceeded apace yet there was one hitch as they gradually unrolled this third cable the electricians observed on several occasions that someone had recently driven nails into it trying to damage its core captain anderson his officers and the engineers put their heads together then posted a warning that if the culprit were detected he would be thrown overboard without a trial after that these villainous attempts were not repeated by july twenty three the great eastern was lying no farther than eight hundred kilometers from newfoundland when it received telegraphed news from ireland of an armistice signed between prussia and austria after the battle of sadova through the mists on the twenty seventh it sighted the port of heart's content the undertaking had ended happily and in its first dispatch young america addressed old europe with these wise words so rarely understood glory to god in the highest and peace on earth to men of good will i didn't expect to find this electric cable in mint condition as it looked on leaving its place of manufacture the long snake was covered with seashell rubble and bristling with foraminifera 
a crust of caked gravel protected it from any mollusks that might bore into it it rested serenely sheltered from the sea's motions under a pressure favorable to the transmission of that electric spark that goes from america to europe in thirty-two one-hundredths of a second this cable will no doubt last indefinitely because as observers note its gutta-percha casing is improved by a stay in salt water besides on this well-chosen plateau the cable never lies at depths that could cause a break the nautilus followed it to its lowest reaches located four thousand four hundred and thirty one meters down and even there it rested without any stress or strain then we returned to the locality where the eighteen sixty three accident had taken place there the ocean floor formed a valley one hundred and twenty kilometers wide into which you could fit mont blanc without its summit poking above the surface of the waves this valley is closed off to the east by a sheer wall two thousand meters high we arrived there on may twenty eighth and the nautilus lay no farther than one hundred and fifty kilometers from ireland would captain nemo head up north and beach us on the british isles no much to my surprise he went back down south and returned to european seas as we swung around the emerald isle i spotted cape clear for an instant plus the lighthouse on fastnet rock that guides all those thousands of ships setting out from glasgow or liverpool an important question then popped into my head would the nautilus dare to tackle the english channel ned land who promptly reappeared after we hugged shore never stopped questioning me what could i answer him captain nemo remained invisible after giving the canadian a glimpse of american shores was he about to show me the coast of france but the nautilus kept gravitating southward on may thirty in sight of land's end it passed between the lowermost tip of england and the scilly islands which it left behind to starboard if it was going to enter the english channel it clearly needed to head east it did not all day long on may thirty one the nautilus swept around the sea in a series of circles that had me deeply puzzled it seemed to be searching for a locality that it had some trouble finding at noon captain nemo himself came to take our bearings he didn't address a word to me he looked gloomier than ever what was filling him with such sadness was it our proximity to these european shores was he reliving his memories of that country he had left behind if so what did he feel remorse or regret for a good while these thoughts occupied my mind and i had a hunch that fate would soon give away the captain's secrets the next day june first the nautilus kept to the same tack it was obviously trying to locate some precise spot in the ocean just as on the day before captain nemo came to take the altitude of the sun the sea was smooth the skies clear eight miles to the east a big steamship was visible on the horizon line no flag was flapping from the gaff of its fore and aft sail and i couldn't tell its nationality a few minutes before the sun passed its zenith captain nemo raised his sextant and took his sights with the utmost precision the absolute calm of the waves facilitated this operation the nautilus lay motionless neither rolling nor pitching i was on the platform just then after determining our position the captain pronounced only these words 
it's right here he went down the hatch had he seen that vessel change course and seemingly head toward us i'm unable to say i returned to the lounge the hatch closed and i heard water hissing in the ballast tanks the nautilus began to sink on a vertical line because its propeller was in check and no longer furnished any forward motion some minutes later it stopped at a depth of eight hundred and thirty three meters and came to rest on the seafloor the ceiling lights in the lounge then went out the panels opened and through the windows i saw for a half mile radius the sea brightly lit by the beacon's rays i looked to port and saw nothing but the immenseness of these tranquil waters to starboard a prominent bulge on the sea bottom caught my attention you would have thought it was some ruin enshrouded in a crust of whitened seashells as if under a mantle of snow carefully examining this mass i could identify the swollen outlines of a ship shorn of its masts which must have sunk bow first this casualty certainly dated from some far-off time to be so caked with the limestone of these waters this wreckage must have spent many a year on the ocean floor what ship was this why had the nautilus come to visit its grave was it something other than a maritime accident that had dragged this craft under the waters i wasn't sure what to think but next to me i heard captain nemo's voice slowly saying originally this ship was christened the marseillaise it carried seventy-four cannons and was launched in seventeen sixty two on august thirteenth seventeen seventy eight commanded by la poep vertrio it fought valiantly against the preston on july fourth seventeen seventy nine as a member of the squadron under admiral d'estaing it assisted in the capture of the island of granada on september five seventeen eighty one under the count de grasse it took part in the battle of chesapeake bay in seventeen ninety four the new republic of france changed the name of this ship on april sixteen of that same year it joined the squadron at brest under rear admiral villarette de joyeuse who was entrusted with escorting a convoy of wheat coming from america under the command of admiral van stabel in this second year of the french revolutionary calendar on the eleventh and twelfth days in the month of pasture this squadron fought an encounter with english vessels sir today is june first eighteen sixty eight or the thirteenth day in the month of pasture seventy-four years ago to the day at this very spot in latitude forty-seven degrees twenty-four minutes and longitude seventeen degrees twenty-eight minutes this ship sank after a heroic battle its three masts gone water in its hold a third of its crew out of action it preferred to go to the bottom with its three hundred and fifty-six seamen rather than surrender and with its flag nailed up on the after-deck it disappeared beneath the waves to shouts of long live the republic this is the avenger i exclaimed yes sir the avenger a splendid name captain nemo murmured crossing his arms end of part two chapter twenty